Hello, everybody, and welcome to Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century. I'm Dr. Marsha Mount Shoup. And I'm Coach John Shoup. John's coached at the highest levels of the game of football for 26 years. And Marsha is an author, theologian, and minister. John and I met in a religion class in Oxford, England. Actually, we were in a pub. Well, yeah, but my point is you like to think deeply. And you love sports. I do. Marsha doesn't just love sports. She's a cross-country coach and in her alma mater's Hall of Fame. We're Team Shoot, and we're glad you've joined us to go deep into some of the most pressing issues of our time. On this show, we go beyond sound bites and highlight reels. We're going deep. Let's do this. Today on Going Deep, Sports in the 21st Century, we're going deep with a special guest, someone with a unique voice and experience in the world of revenue sports. We are pleased to welcome Mr. Sonny Vaccaro, who's joining us from Cathedral City, California. Sonny changed the way sports teams do business, and his experiences include pivotal moments like signing Michael Jordan to the first Nike shoe contract, Sonny's also an outspoken advocate for the rights of collegiate athletes in revenue sports. We are pleased to have you with us today, Sonny. Thank you for joining us, and welcome to Going Deep. Well, thank you guys for having me on, and uh, hopefully we reach some people that are interested in the subject we're about to talk about, and I'm a willing participant in your conversation. <laughs> well, Amen. We're, you. we're very thankful. Now, Sonny, like you, I grew up in western Pennsylvania. I grew up in a town called Oakmont, just outside of Pittsburgh, when I know you grew up in Trafford. And uh, the culture of sports in the 70s and the 80s in the Steel City was something else. Where did your involvement in sports begin? Well, it, all, it began in high school, John, like all of us back there, basically was a uh, I went to Trafford was a small school. I only had like 45 or 50 kids in my senior class. And football was the, the mother sport and baseball and basketball and all the other things. There was no th- such thing as swimming and track. So in the 50s when I, I went to Trafford, uh, you know, I was a pretty decent athlete and I got a chance to get a scholarship for football. I was going to go to the University of Kentucky to play and they figured out I wasn't ready for Kentucky academically, athletically, or anything else. So they sent me to a junior college out in uh, California where we, we, we did pretty good. We were a very good team. We had a couple pros on it, uh, a kid named Danny Villanueva who ended up kicking for the Dallas Cowboys and, you know, and all that sort of stuff. So they farmed me out, and then uh, I got hurt there. Hmm. And I got hurt, and then I thought I was going to go back to Kentucky, and uh, I wasn't, I guess, I wasn't who I was before I went there. And they hmm. recruited and whatever. So my saga started a long time ago there, you know, Youngstown State, interested, 60 miles away, as you know, sure. from Trafford. They wanted me, you know, like a lot of the other small schools in, in the area. I wrote a letter to the coach. Uh, he said something affected John. You know, whatever I was, you know, if I'm anywhere near that or whatever, please come on. I went to Youngstown, Dyke Beatty, who was the coach. He was also the man mm. who invented the flag for the, the penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, How about said, that? come on. My uncle rides, drives me to Youngstown from Trafford one day in August in 1958, I guess then. Uh, yeah, it was a year in junior college. And uh, I started my athletic endeavor with Youngstown State. 
another strange thing happened during the fall practice and all that stuff. And I wasn't really, you know, what I couldn't do was run. That was my, I had a back injury and, hmm. and no one was paying attention to back injuries, least of all me and my family and whatever. It was just something that was a, mm-hmm. a you know, took a minute to get over like everything did in those days, right? You mm-hmm. pat in the back and you go. Tape an aspirin that, to it, yeah, my right. coach used so, to uh, say. So I, in a, in a time I was around, you know, and I, I wasn't playing, and they even had like a JV team. Then it wasn't a freshman team. We weren't big enough, and I, I couldn't even do that. So I never suited. To make a long story short, I never suited up to play football for Youngstown State. The assistant coach in football was a man named Don Roselli. He liked my enthusiasm. Why? I have no idea to this day, other than he was Italian and I was Italian, and maybe he just took a liking for me. Sure. <laughs> and he said, you know, I got an interesting thing. Uh, I like who you are. Uh, Maybe you can get me some basketball players to come to Youngstown. And, John, that's how it started at Youngstown. And wow. I was, and they kept me on a four-year scholarship. That's the, the gist of this conversation. So you and, were at Youngstown State then to play football, but ended up recruiting basketball players yeah. from the city of Pittsburgh. Yes. Wow. And we had, in fact, two kids who I recruited – this was prior to the Dapper Dan, which I started in 1965. I'd been out of school and teaching at that call, time called special education. I was a teacher, and I wanted to always be the coach of my high school. If you'd asked me my dream, my dream would have go back to Trafford and be a coach. And that's mm. what I always wanted to be. How about and, that? Um, and now I, uh, I, 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 I get with Dom, I get him guys, and I get two kids named Red Jones and David Culliver from Western Pennsylvania. And David was a kid from Trafford who are in a Hall of Fame right now, in a basketball Hall of Fame at Youngstown State University, which are wow. pretty dang good at at small college. Mm-hmm. Sure. And uh, so I guess I showed some spark of something to Dom. I graduated. Uh, I started to Dapper Dan in 1965, which was the first all-star game in America. What was and the, the impetus to start? going from there. But Youngstown State, four-year scholarship, Sunday for Carroll, Trafford, Pennsylvania, Bring me to your show today. <laughs> now, what was the genesis behind the Dapper Dan, and how did why you go did you from start that? that? How did you get from Youngstown to start in the first All Star game? You know, to explain that would have to explain the other sixty years of my life. <laughs> I, I'll say this to the top of your program, and you and John come back however way you want to. There was never anything in my life that I did, and probably, and, and, and even probably writing that letter to Dyke. What if I don't write the letter? Mm-hmm. You know, so. But I can't explain what happened tomorrow morning in my life. I only know what happened today or yesterday and why. Mm-hmm. I know why I got there. I don't know what the Dapper Dan, to be honest with you, I now got some success in recruiting. I started taking kids around Pittsburgh to go play in tournaments. These are basketball players now. At Youngstown, Ohio, at Boardman High School, actually. Mm-hmm. At Farrell, uh, the Sharon Hoyle tournament was a major AAU tournament in the 1960s. Uh, uh, Steubenville, Ohio, Weirton, West Virginia. So I, take, I was taking kids. In that two-year period after graduation, I saw what a great thing was happening in basketball. I, now, Pittsburgh, John, you know this, a little later than I am, but we were football. That's no what it was. Doubt. You know, we were football. There was no basketball, except I believe there was. And I walked into the press, uh, the post-cadet, uh, uh, with Pat DeCesar, a boyhood friend of mine, uh, an Italian. If you were somehow related or close to each other, we were all cousins. Cousine was the <laughs> word used by Italians in, in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And Pat and I, uh, he was a, a would-be promoter. Uh, he helped bring the Beatles to Pittsburgh. He had a little name. He also graduated from Youngstown State because he went when I went, you know, a year after I went. Uh, 
And we are lifelong friends to this day. He's a, in, inducted into the West Pennsylvania Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he's written about books that? about his life. So we started the Dapper Dam, and my wow. idea was to give a platform in the highest setting to basketball players in Western Pennsylvania. So our game, unlike the McDonald's game to this day, was Pennsylvania against the United States. Hmm. And we won the first game, and, and it went on until I quit uh, 43 years later, I think it was. I just dropped wow, all sure. my things I was doing with shoe companies and walked away for the advocacy stuff that I'm doing now. I was telling Marcia earlier that I grew up going to the Dapper Dan round ball games with my dad and absolutely loved the game of the first game before the second game of just just right, the, the, local, local yeah. the local kids. And I got a couple of questions. First, how did it become known as the Dapper Dan round the Dapper ball? Dapper Dan, run by L. Abrams in the Post-Gazette in the 50s, was one of the biggest charities. It was like the Jimmy Fund. You hmm. may relate okay. to that, John, and sure. Marshall, mm-hmm. that's more common with the Red Sox and in Boston, the city of Boston. The yep. Dapper Dan was the, the sports club, and they had the biggest banquet in America, the Dapper Dan Club, and everybody from Pete DiPirio, and that's a name you'll remember. Yep. You know, they'd bring in, it was mostly football and baseball and Steeler guys, and they had the biggest thing. And mm-hmm. Al Abrams in the Post-Gazette was the morning paper. And that's what I yep. grew up with, the morning paper in Pittsburgh. The Post-Gazette, and, no doubt. Yeah, the Post-Gazette, yes. And then, uh, so their, spot, their, their motto was Dapper Dan. It was a guy in a high hat and a cane, and yep. he was the Dapper Dan. And, you know, <laughs> so that's what was the Dapper Dan. Round Ball Classic was my name. I, I gave it the name. And so the Dapper Dan, Round Ball Classic. How about I drop, I drop a name from the late 70s, early 80s and give a sentence on a player, see how good your memory is. <laughs> Shang Bibbins. Oh, my God. Why would you know Shang? Is that for, uh, oh, my God. I used to go and watch him play. I absolutely... Over, a, over one of the city schools. That's right. right. Do you remember him? How about... Sure I do. Absolutely I do. I mean, gosh. Well, if you go to Shang, then you got to go a little... You know, that whole era. I, in fact, I was just talking to Mike White from the Post-Gazette. are doing a... It's been 25 years since I took the game out of Pittsburgh this year. So they're doing a okay. major story in the Post-Gazette on Friday. I know you guys don't live there anymore. but And the story was, you know, when I started, I, I started the Dapper Dan, John, strictly mostly with kids from either the, the city schools, the right. Catholic schools, or, or uh, western Pennsylvania, the Sharon, Farrow area, West uh, Ambridge, Aliquippa, and Uniontown, South Union, Laurel Highlands. Mm-hmm. That was the genesis. And then we went to Penn Hills, which was close to mm-hmm. where Oakmont is, and George right. Carl and those mm-hmm. guys were really, really good. And, you know, so that's the, the, the game started. And Shane, Shane played. Shane was a great player. Like, <laughs> Shane was a great you player. Know? You just remember his performance? Oh, I, he, I think he was MVP of the first game. Right. And then later in my NFL coaching career, I coached with Sam Clancy. Oh, my God. One of my favorite people in the world. He's yeah. great. He's the He's best. He's so great. Uh, oh. w- one one year in summer basketball of Ozenam, I held Major Harris to 55 points as well. <laughs> oh, my God, you were really talented because a lot of people couldn't do that. <laughs> there were some great basketball players and underrated, underrated well, they, they sport were. in Pittsburgh, for sure. And that's what Ron they do. We yeah. got, in fact, I was talking to Mike today in a story. I'll tell you a quick one. Joe Montana was like around the 70s, and Joe Ringgold was a really, School. really good mm-hmm. basketball player, too. But they had two other players in that team uh, named Euless Payne, who went on for, you know, played national championship with Marquette, and, uh, and another, uh, right, uh, Kurt, where, uh, the point guard. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Joe wanted to play in the Dapper Dan. Now, 
Joe was like Joe, but he was a great football player. And they had won the state championship. It was Rheingold High School at that yeah. right. right. Okay. They had won. And I'll never forget telling the secretary, uh, Babe, because there was all kind of political thing, because a lot of the alumnus of the Dan were major business people, mm-hmm. and they really wanted Joe in. And Joe could have been picked, but I, I swear to God, the reason <laughs> Joe didn't play in the Dapper Dan, because he was good enough. He was a very good bat. First of all, he had two other players on the team, one in the first and Ulysses in the second. But Joe was getting a scholarship, either to North Carolina State or Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So I said, my famous words were, well, he got a football scholarship. We've got to give it to a kid that doesn't have one. And uh-huh. that's basically, you know, that happened twice. Danny Marino was like that. Danny was a heck of a football or basketball player. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know that. Danny I do. A, Central yeah. Catholic right there. And, and Major Harris certainly was. And we uh, he's more recent. I mean, heck, I mean, and, and Sammy yeah. Clancy, were you there one of the greatest nights ever? You, you were probably out. You know, coaching then, I was in the 80s. When oh, no, he was Bank, in high school then. I was in okay, high well, school. I, I, I watched Sam, Sam Clancy, the MVP. Eugene Banks, a great player from Philadelphia. I remember. He won the MVP. He turned it over and gave it to Sam in front of 17,000 people that will live forever. While we're on high school, I think it's interesting because you talk kind of how the commercialization of sports might start at high school and then it went to college and then to the pros but you kind of started at high school and thought man guys like whether it was albert king in fort hamilton high school might be able to sell more shoes in his neighborhood if we put him in gear than bernard king did playing for the knicks talk about the high school student or the high school players and your thought along with nike and phil knight and getting shoes and gear put on those guys. Well, it was the it was the sole motivation of Nike becoming who they were because I, after I brought them to the Dapper Dan, Rob Strausser, who was uh, who was you know technically you know the second to command of Phil Knight at that time, flew to Pittsburgh, and he watched the Dapper Dan. We had seventeen thousand people there. What year and is I, that about? Ninety or uh, seventy-seven, somewhere seventy-six, seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, it had to be that. I, I don't know. You got me on that one. Seventy-six sure. or seventy-seven. Yeah, I started. Mid, you know, and I signed to colleges seventy-seven, seventy-eight. So it happened right after. So he comes to the game. He sees seventeen thousand people. He sees every college coach in America in attendance. So we go back. I just wanted him to give me shoes for the for the Zapper Dam. So now I'm not connected to Nike at this time. Mm-hmm. So I go out for my second visit. And they say, well, well, we'll give you shoes next year's game. We'll give you this. We'll give you that. They want to do that. And then I turned to them very innocently. I was there to show Phil Knight and Nike people what I had learned at my camp, because I had a camp at Seven Springs called Big Ten Camp, which a lot of football people, you may have been a part of that, when Ned Mervis and those guys ran the mm-hmm. football operation. It was called the Big Ten Camp. I had basketball first. The kids would tell me about the tennis shoes. They were tennis shoes in the 60s and 50s. Mm-hmm. The audience today don't know what the heck we're talking about. They think they're tennis shoes by Nadell or somebody. No. <laughs> there were tennis shoes that you wore at a church. Mm-hmm. The same shoe. You wore that shoe everywhere. And the kids at, the, at uh, my camp would tell me, you know, Mr. McCarroll, uh, you know, our tennis shoes, I'd like to wear them. You know, why don't they do something different? That, that was a conversation. I can't remember what the heck 40, 50 years ago. But some of the kids said, we wear them to the dance and whatever, and I did the same thing. I may not have been going to dances like those kids, but my point then was I went to my an Italian shoemaker in Trafford, and I asked Bobby to make me some prototype new shoes 
there was a new company called Nike. I said it was Nike. Uh, <laughs> it was interested because a friend of mine wrote a letter to Phil Knight that I had this idea about my new shoes. And nothing to do with what I later got into. That's what I mean. I just wanted to sell maybe, you know, we can make new shoes. I can make a buck and they can sell new shoes. Wow. That's according to what the kids wrote. So this is 76, 77. Rob comes to the game. They invite me out. The first time I paid my own way. The second time they bought me an airplane ticket. Hmm. And then joined the conversation. I said, you guys want to be involved in basketball? He said, well, you got to do more than, you know, the damp or, you know, the round ball. You should, you know, put it on the college guys. I said, I proved to you what putting on high school kids would, because Albert King will sell shoes, mm-hmm. and all the kids in the Dapper Dan will go back to their community and wear the shoes, and that's what will happen. I just said it. Mm-hmm. That's the way I believe. Mm-hmm. So I, it started with the belief of the high school players. So we then started that next year. I had them, Nike had all these shoes across the country on these high school teams. Mm-hmm. But then it evolved into colleges, because then I said the big thing. Well, if you really want to do this, they had one college team, guys, University of Oregon. That's where Phil graduated from. And I said, and I knew the coach here, Dick Harder, and I said, well, that's the problem. No one knows you even have a damn basketball shoe. Mm-hmm. So I said, you want to get into the business? I said, yeah. I said, pay the coaches. And I said, pay the coaches, because why? For the same reason I said, give the shoes to the high school teams for nothing. You have to, the people have to see your product. Well, if you pay the coaches, and in 77, the coaches were making – Eventually, Nike paid them more than their college contract. Not the first year. Yeah. They weren't making a lot of money. Sure. A lot of coaches in the 70s were making money by having their own camps and the car dealership uh, giving them a car, you know, for a year or something like that. And you had to do, you know, 10 show-ups at the car sales. And, John, you can probably relate to that. And, and this is how it happened. I said pay the coaches. Did you ever even broach the topic of trying to get it on college players, get no, get contact no, I, I college players, to, or was that a non-starter to. then? No, it was no, no. I broached it by saying pay the college coaches, Marcia. Mm-hmm. That, that was my point. But I you never that. went for I, college I players. Yeah, I, I couldn't give it college coaches. I wasn't getting an endorsement. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting them to do a commercial for Nike. Mm-hmm. I was getting them to put their shoes on the kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I see what you're so, saying. So that, so again, so what you have to stop and think about, because we'll probably get back to this later in the interview, is no one stopped me. The athletic director didn't stop mm-hmm. me. The president didn't stop me. The right. NBA stopped me, and God Almighty didn't stop me. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the coach took the $5,000. Jerry Tarkani was the first one. I was living in Las Vegas, and Jerry and I were friends ever since the Dapper Dan. Mm-hmm. So, so I'd known him for 10 years, and you know, and I knew everybody because the Dapper Dan made Sonny Vaccaro this celebrity. The Dapper Dan, yes, you people understand, there was no McDonald's game, which is probably one your audience is. There wasn't a, we are 13 years ahead of the McDonald's game. Oh, so yeah. we understand that. 13 years. First, 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 mm-hmm. round ball. So go ahead. <laughs> well, talk about then, okay, you've moved from the coaches to – you got you became you come to have an impact on teams, and I know in the early to mid '80s there were some teams in particular that were kind of turning points for how this all worked in college in the college game. Well, it happened that it all worked that way, but what really happened was it changed the game, and and you had a large entity because by the time the '80s started. Nike really started with the college coaches. I know that they're going to try and rewrite history up there, 
but they can't because it's all documented, okay? Mm-hmm. But the college program started Nike. Michael Jordan was the biggest thing ever to happen. That didn't happen to 1984. Mm-hmm. Right. And he wasn't Super Michael until 85, 86, 87, just so we understand all that. Mm-hmm. What did we do? Jimmy Valvano wins the championship at 83. John Thompson wins it. Now, Nike didn't even have schools. They had one school. Mm-hmm. In 83 and 85, we had national championship teams. In 84, we had all four teams, which was, I mean, uh, 85, we had all four teams in the national championship. Mm-hmm. You realize that? In the 80s, we had Memphis, St. John's, Villanova, and Georgetown, uh-huh. all Nike schools. So how you know, fast like, did it take off? Like Jerry Tarkanian has a shoe contract now. Yeah. Do other coaches start to think, hey, nuts, how do I get in on that? And how fast did it spread? Five minutes. As soon as they knew <laughs> what would happen, I only had time because I was driving around the country, John. I wasn't wow. flying over. Nike didn't. In fact, when I signed the first guy, let's just say Jerry. Okay, mm-hmm. I gave my own personal check. Wow. I didn't have I didn't have thirty five hundred dollars, but in those days, and you two, you two guys are too young to understand, you could float a check for about a week. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then so Nike would wire it into my account. I'd say I got. I got this guy. I got that guy. I got Jimmy Valvano. This is what it cost. So I had eight of them the first year. Next year, I had 80-some. Wow. How about that? Now, <laughs> what do you say to people like like Alonzo Mourning? You have a great relationship with him in high school. And there's people in the past that have accused you then of steering a Nike high schooler to a Nike college then at Georgetown. What do you say to yeah. your critics Sonny, who say you were steering these players one way or another because of Nike endorsements. Isn't that interesting? Because I just told you before Alonzo Mourning signed to go to Georgetown in the late 80s, they had won national championships. Patrick mm-hmm. Moore was the biggest name in the world. Mm-hmm. We had won five or six championships. I had 80-some schools, and 99% of the ones that these people that were accusing me were all Nike schools. So what was I doing? Tell them to go to one <laughs> Nike school and not another. Yeah. It's so illogical. Right. It, it is illogical. This is the... the this is the image thing that Sonny's fought, and then your friends at the NCAA just hooked into that. And mm-hmm. they, they painted their own picture. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, I lived too long, and <laughs> I just, nothing they ever tried to pin on me ever stopped it. I mean, no doubt. I mean, I, I don't, <clears throat> I know exactly what your question is, John, and it's a legitimate question, but it's been asked for a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened. Mm-hmm. What was I going to do? Disappoint Syracuse? Disappoint Villanova? Disappoint, you know, I had, we had everybody. Right, and who's who's to say why they wouldn't have gone there no, anyway? No, yeah, no, no, it's 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 the silliest thing. But the, what happens is the people who are envious of you or jealous of you or whatever they try to paint a dark picture of you, mm-hmm. and you understand where I'm going. Sure. They can mm-hmm. paint their own picture, except this kid from Trafford. I never let anybody do it. It took me a long time, mm-hmm. but I never, you know, I was accused of everything. Hell, I was in, I was in I was almost I was under investigation by. Uh, you know, Nike for, you know, stealing corporate secrets. I mean, it's right, hmm. like ridiculous after I left Nike. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, while you're at Nike, could you talk a little bit about your connection with Michael Jordan? And as I understand the story, they gave you a lump sum of money to invest in different professional players, and you bet it all on this young player out of North Carolina. You took every cent that they gave you and put it on him. What did you see in Michael Jordan beyond just ability as a player? Did you see this larger-than-life personality? Or talk about your relationship. Well, that's 
another one they're trying to change history on. But in in a room, in a mansion in in Beaverton, Oregon, in 1984, Phil Knight, and I didn't go all the big time because Nike didn't have a lot of professionals. And if they were at that time, there were guys on the bench. And that was also during the drug era scandals in professional mm-hmm. basketball. It was factual. So they had no, no, you know, it wasn't, and it didn't even mean anything. The, uh, the NBA Finals was tape delayed, you know, on the East Coast. I mean, so, but they were ready to make a move. We had made money in college basketball. And here's the kick in the butt. Mm-hmm. We were in that room when they, they wanted to give it. There was a great draft. Barkley was in it, John. John Stockton was in it. It was a great draft, three or four Hall of Fame guys. And we had $500,000. And Howard Slasher, and you may even know that name, John. Yes, I should He was one of the big – well, he's, he's still today one of the big honchos at Nike. Howard was very close to Phil and still is. And they wanted to give it to three guys, and I was going to pick three guys. They only brought me in because of my knowledge from college basketball. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I had something to do with – there was no pro basketball then. Mm-hmm. So we're at this mansion, and you know, and there I was. And I'm probably making a thousand dollars a month if I was making that. I was a consultant for the mm-hmm. first couple of years. I mean, just being very honest with you. Mm-hmm. And so now we're having this meeting, and they say, "Here's what we're going to do." And as God is my judge, again, they're going to be like Nazi Germany and try and burn the books, but they can't get rid of this. They're all there. They know ones are living know what happened. They asked me what I would do. We'll sign this guy, and I said no. Give it all to the kid. That's exactly how I said it. Hmm. What kid? Jordan. Give it to Jordan. John, you asked the question. It's like when you asked me, why did I start the Dapper Dan? Why did I write the letter to Youngstown? Through my life, I can't tell you why the minute something happened in my life. I just knew. I saw him beat Georgetown, and I was at the game, and I was close to John and all those kids. And I, lo- I loved Georgetown. I loved UNLV, and I loved the Fab Five kids. It had me pick out three teams that I that had a lot of momentum in commercialism and sports. Those three teams uh, were indicative of what I was thinking of. Three On pretty Michael, good teams. It was. I had a feeling. Hmm. It wasn't. I didn't. He didn't go to my All Star game. He didn't. Hmm. I didn't have a camp then. We didn't have tournaments. I didn't know Michael Jordan. Hmm. That's what. That's what's the other part of Nike's the hard sell. They didn't even know him. Hmm. You know, he was one of three. And wow. you know. So I and I stuck by it, and they and again, for problems I have had with Phil, and I hope not continuously, but I guess they're still out there on his side. He allowed me; he gave me room to do a lot of things, John. Mm-hmm. That and he and they listened to me. So wow! Then that, that's how Jordan, because that's who I believed in. How about that? Was there? I understand what you're saying. You had a feeling. You had a feeling yeah. that lured you towards him. Did you play any role in the advertising afterwards, uh, in Spike Lee joining in on everything and the way it blew up? Did you, you knew that you had a feeling and wanted Michael Jordan. Did you ever envision it would be like it was? No, 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 because I can never envision marketing coming into it. Mm. Marketing, the year we got Michael and even with the college coaches, we're just taking that out and, you know, USA Today was now in place here. It wasn't even buying a lot of TV ads, so we didn't know that was happening. The people who ran marketing, and you know, and the, the guy running it now, Tinker for a lot of people, and the guy I saw with Peter Moore and, and Rob, okay, they had, but I knew Spike really well. I was part of knowing he was doing it, but Spike, 
just did the movie do the right thing. I mean, so this was a step. I knew Step, and I'll, I remember, you know, meeting Spike, uh, then he got close to Michael, but it wasn't me that woke up one morning and said, get him Spike Lee. It was me that was around Spike a lot once he mm. started doing it, and we became, you know, great friends for the last 30 years. Mm. But that was, that was innovative, and I say it in all my speeches, because it changed the culture of the world, because you had a black person and a black person mm-hmm. saying billions of dollars worth of shoes to mostly white people. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't done in the 80s. Wow. So that was a unbelievable commercial and commercials. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Really history-making there. Hey, we're here with Sonny Vaccaro, and we're going to take a mini break here. But, Sonny, thank you so much. You're listening to Going Deep Sports in the 21st Century, and, boy, are we going deep with Mr. Sonny Vaccaro. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at ShoopsGoingDeep, or visit our website at shoopsgoingdeep.com. And remember, you can subscribe to Going Deep on iTunes and SoundCloud. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Going Deep, sports in the 21st century. We are here with an iconic figure in the evolution of revenue sports in America. We're going deep with Mr. Sonny Vaccaro. No one has experiences and perspectives like Sonny Vaccaro. His voice is profoundly informed as an insider of the business side of sports. And the remarkable thing is he also has a prophetic voice on issues of economic justice in sports for the same reasons. It is absolutely wonderful to have you with us today, Sonny. Thank you so much again for joining us. I am I'm honored that you guys asked me, and I'm looking forward to the, the good questions I'm sure are about to come to the audience. Yes, so sir. Yes, sir. Well, so talk to us a little bit about the transition to universities um, getting in on this. Um, we've, we've moved through the coaches and and, you know, the, the teams. But now there were full kind of all-sport endorsements happening. Can you talk us through how that happened? Were people just seeing that there was a lot of money in this? Or how did that, how did that, that catch on? Well, we are now into, like, the mid-'80s, okay? And mm-hmm. Jordan is alive and well and selling billions of dollars worth of shoes and all that stuff. And we have all the – most of the schools were winning championships, so now Nike's notoriety. One day around 19, you know, in the middle of the day, uh, uh, a lawyer named Rob Ades, he, he went from there to being one of the big labor union uh, uh, lawyers in the country. Rob was a graduate of University of Miami, and he was very close mm-hmm. to the situation. He was a booster and a donor and everything, and he knew Sam Jankovic. Sam was the athletic director. Mm-hmm. I get a call from Rob Ades. We're living in Santa Monica, Pam and I, at that time. And uh, he says, uh, Mr. McCarroll, Rob Ades here. He said, uh, I, I am representing the University of Miami, and I just talked to Sam Jankovic. He wanted me to contact you to see if Nike would be interested in an all-school deal with the University of Miami. Now, just for your audience, we all know that Miami was a great football school. Mm-hmm. In basketball, they couldn't dribble the ball, okay? <laughs> and Nike was a, basically a basketball company. Mm-hmm. I saw something, I, again, I, if I don't get that phone call, we don't have this conversation on this subject because I'm not part of it, and it takes years for what I'm about to tell your audience to have it happen. Mm-hmm. I knew something was intrinsically valuable here. 
Huh. They said, and I told Mr. Ray, Mr. Ray, you're telling me what exactly? Well, you're going to have all the sports. You're going to have the football, the basketball, the baseball, the track and field and the swimming and all that stuff. And Mr. Jenkins said you can put your logos up all over the stadiums. And I remember saying this in jest. You mean I can put the, a logo when the swimmers tap the end of the pool and they do their turnaround? Because I always see that in Olympic things. You know how they, mm-hmm. they, I said, quick. He said, you can put a swoosh anywhere you want in the campus. Wow. My news, this was huge. Wow. No one's ever done this. And also, we owned the, the, the bookstore. Now, the bookstore is a multi-zillion dollar worth of business now at every major university in the country. Mm-hmm. Then I knew what was happening because I, because of my involvement with the, with the, the basketball teams, I was going around to the schools, and I always ended up in a bookstore, and what they had were T-shirts by Nike, T-shirts by Nike, shoes by Nike, and other schools in there. It wasn't an all-school deal because they could do other things, and most of them were converts at that time. We had the license, and this is the first time that all the hypocrites that represent the NCAA in and out of court mm-hmm. can go blow their nose on this for a million years so they can't get past <laughs> it. When I signed the all-school deal, now, I mentioned to you earlier that we signed the first contract with the coach. Whether he showed it to his athletic director or not, all I knew, we sent them shoes for nothing. They put them on the feet. We got what we wanted. They got what they wanted, and the coach got $5,000. By the late 80s now, we made a nice deal with the University of Miami. I'm sure the president and certainly the athletic director, since he was the man who called me, because he was going to pay the coaches out of the money that Nike gave him. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have to deal with the football, basketball, and baseball coach or tennis coach. Let him do it. Wow. So they took full ownership of Nike. Understand, ladies and gentlemen of this audience. Mm-hmm. They took full ownership. Now, the many years of all these things, because morning, Alonzo Morning didn't even start yet. That, cause that happened right after that, because that's when he went to Georgetown. So understand for your audience what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. It went beyond me doing a deal with the coach. Sure. The school took the money. So all the BS about these people, and I'm still the ostracized one. Yeah. I'm still the one that they can't see. Well, you know what? At some point in time, they got to look at their contracts. Their presidents were signing the all-school deals. They yes. knew what the hell Sonny Carroll and Nike was doing, and then later Adidas and Reebok. It wasn't. No one did this in the back alley. Right. Exactly. That's the whole point. So they took the money, and they signed ownership over so they took control of their own athletes. It wasn't me or Nike. And that that's such an important point. And I do want our listeners to really take note of that and download it into the hard drive. It is the university presidents and the athletic directors of our finest institutions in this country who wanted this deal, as you said, took full ownership of it and have benefited from it big time. And I wonder, Sonny, when... When did you start to feel some sort of awakening around, wait a minute, (laughs) okay, y'all are all jumping on this, Um, everybody seems real comfortable with this, but we've got this rhetoric over here about um, protecting players from commercialization, um, and the players are the ones that aren't benefiting from this situation. When When did you start to have a sort of awakening, a critical consciousness about that when it came to players? Martha, I don't know if you can give a win, because I know that I said on national TV there was a show called CBS Hotline. Mm-hmm. CBS actually did a, a big feature on the round ball classic in the early 80s, mm-hmm. a major feature that was shown on network. And in that feature, it was, no, it was before Nike became, it was Fort Jordan, that I can tell you. So that, again, you know, separates Nike's fame 
notoriety because of Jordan to the financial machine it was starting to do off of college. I said today, this, this guy, Len, asked me the question, what do you feel is wrong with everything? And I'm looking down at the, uh, I'm looking down at the floor. I'm saying there's 17,000 people here tonight. Hmm. And all I could do is bring the player in this, this thing there. They aren't getting anything. I was conscious of it probably my whole life. Mm-hmm. You have to understand, conscious and being able to do something are two different fights. Right. You two are going through it, okay? Yeah. But what it took with me was to continue seeing it. The revelation actually hit home to me deep-rooted when I was still employed in the shoe industry and getting paid, okay, by the shoe industry. I was with Adidas. I appeared on Ted Koppel, hmm. uh, uh, race, race and Athletics. And Jim Brown was on the panel. Uh, Gene Corrigan, the ex—I think he was the president of the NCAA in Notre Dame—and and, 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 and I was the person. And Chris Webber was on. And Chris had just been uh, drafted by the, uh, the Washington Wizards, and I know what their name was at that time. And I knew Chris because he played at my camps and he went to my All-Star games. So we're sitting there, and I'm—I'm I'm, I'm the African. They're, and they're—they basically were grilling me and doing whatever, mm-hmm. you know, because I was—I was just person now. But Chris Weber said one of the most seminal things, and it encouraged me to do it. My fight was, at that time, ESPN sold to uh, uh, Greenberg, uh, Greenberg and uh, Brian Bodell, big time, and Greenberg's a, one of the, Hank's son, he was Hank's son, one of the major financial people in the world. I mean, today he's with Buffett. And, I mean, he's an unbelievable human being and unbelievably successful, and I knew him personally, and he started an idea that they actually came to me and they wanted my films from the round ball because they were going to start classic sports. And okay. I never paid attention. I never gave him the films or whatever. So one day you wake up and I'm starting to see all these old games because you know, Mr. Greenberg sold the rights, he and Brian, to ESPN for $160 uh-huh. million. Dollars. Wow. And those are the games that you guys watch You'll watch North Carolina and Duke. You'll watch, you know, uh, Southern Cal and UCLA football. Hmm. That's when I realized this is really egregious. Hmm. Why can't these kids get money? They're showing these films over and over and over. So that's, I didn't even know EA Sports existed. But mm-hmm. on that night in uh, early 2000 when I was on Koppel, and Koppel's Nightline was the biggest show in America. Mm-hmm. You all know that. Mm-hmm. And I was, again, I was the defendant in this trial by thought. They wanted to hang me because I was doing something wrong. But during that night, Chris Weber said to the audience, and eloquently in front of the, we did it at Howard University. Mm-hmm. And Chris said, my mother and dad got to go up there and buy my jersey for $150 or buy shoes at Nike Maze or buy T-shirts. And I don't get anything. And they're selling my numbers. Mm. That's when it all started to sink into me. Wow. That's when I knew I was on the right track. So then I became an advocate without my association. Every time I did something, I have some letters to various committees that asked me to speak and whatever, like that Nightline thing. I always stated, I'm speaking for Sonny Vaccaro, not for Nike or Adidas or Reebok. Mm -hmm. And I've always stated that. So that I always knew, but that's what brought me, you know, I'm Mm. probably fast forwarding, but someday... What the argument would be, well, Sonny, you got paid for doing these things. And I said, I did. I, I, I worked for three companies. And if I'm, if I'm the bastard child, I don't know what the, the fathers are here because they gave me the money. I, I never mm-hmm. understood why Phil or the people in Germany uh, or the man who owned, uh, you know, hired me to work in Reebok, why they weren't bastardized. 
even though none of us ever should have been. <laughs> right. But I was this person that was easy to beat, except I wasn't too easy to beat. Right, that, exactly. That's where, and I'll, I'll leave it back to you guys to get me on track again. No, no, no that's, but, it's fascinating. And <clears throat> it it wouldn't be the first time that there was a justice issue when people found a red herring for people to chase, you know, uh, I think you were it, but like you said, you refused to take on that mantle, and um, you know more power to you. <laughs> well, it seems that the NCAA's primary focus is to protect players from commercialism. Does the NCAA protect players from commercialism by not letting them get this, Sonny? Well, I'll only be kind to you and answer that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this: Will there ever be a collegiate player? that has an individual shoe contract. Say the number one basketball recruit in the country is going to Kentucky, which is a Nike school, but cuts his own deal and says, I'm going to wear Adidas. Will that ever happen in your lifetime? I certainly pray it will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. but will it? No, because they're still under this false impression that they are not immune from the antitrust thing with the Lopanen case settled. But that, that, they, yeah, John, you have to understand something here. This is very point, and maybe the rest of your, all the things you may want to ask me for the next whatever time you guys want me for is going to be redundant. Mm-hmm. You have to understand something. Anytime you talk about the athlete getting something and, and get away from the biased, prejudiced attitude of, of even outsiders not connected to the outside, you have to understand something. The athletes are paying for all those buildings up in, I call it the mausoleum, and then you have the answer, mm-hmm. the athletes are paying the contracts of these people who work inside those offices. I, I don't know what Mark Emmer does. I don't know what the mm-hmm. president does since he's legally not capable of doing anything because it's run by the so-called president, it's run by a committee. If they ever do, and if they ever lose, and they lost it, but they won't, we haven't lost anything, and they keep appealing everything. They lost. Yeah. There is a... The, the, the most humane thing to do would get together with good people and figure this out and say, what do we do for the athlete? Mm-hmm. Right. And how do we keep college sports doing instead of what don't we do for the athletes and we'll keep the money in our pocket? The public has to understand, and they never seem to, because the people in Indianapolis and all the commissioners and all these sort of things happen, they are paid by those kids you're watching tonight. Yeah. They're paid by the kids who play that football thing where they get billions of dollars. I just saw today where they're going to now give $3,000 to the families of the four teams that went to the Final Four. I've been asking for that and others for 50 years, only because of court cases that they even see the bigness of that. But why couldn't they give oh, – what about – the first families that have to travel to St. Joe's had to go from Philadelphia to right. Spokane, Washington. Right. You think their parents would have liked to have gone to the games? Right. See, what they do is they give something back to the public, and it looks like a real feel-good story. Now, I'm happy. That's like the football mother and dad. If it wasn't a lady, John, and you know this, if it wasn't the ladies whose son played in Ohio State two years ago, they, wouldn't mm-hmm. have, they, they kept saying we're not allowed to do it. They're always not allowed to do it until they have to do it. Until they decide to do it. Yeah, all right. <laughs> right. I, don't know, I don't know where the rule changed. So my answer to the question here is, will they ever give one? Here's a true statement, and its relevance is today. Kobe Bryant signed out of high school. We're sitting at the press conference. We know we're going to dinner, Italian restaurant, El Vagabondo's in New York City in the 1990s. Kobe turns to me and said, Mr. Vaccaro, if I would have gone to Duke, could you have given me the Adidas contract? I said, I'd like to, Kobe, but I'm not allowed. Why? Because Duke 
said, well, I can't give it to you. You're an amateur. He said, that's mm-hmm. stupid. Because the reason we gave it to Duke, the reason I gave it to Tark or to John, was because they had players who the public would watch. Mm -hmm. Right. The line shouldn't have to be closed. The Mm -hmm. line should be open. What someone has to explain to me is how do they arrive at the contracts of all the people running the sport? Why does a guy running a bowl game? Now, John, you're a big time college coach. You know where I'm going. They go to bowl games. You go to mm-hmm. the Chick-fil-A play bowl. Do you know there's a guy in Atlanta that mm-hmm. runs a Chick-fil-A? He gets $700,000 for mm-hmm. running a bowl game that basically is set by the two schools coming in. Mm-hmm. You're renting a coliseum. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, a, like a concert. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the concerts now, the, what happens now in the music industry, the concert promoters, they, they go in, they take the whole arena, and they, they hire everything, right? You pay the tickets. It's BS. Why mm-hmm. should they pay themselves? That's why they can't give the money. I heard something on SNBC today. It was stupid. Mm-hmm. It was stupid because mm-hmm. they're figuring out. They, they, and the other thing they do wrong by the kids, it is not pay for play. Just so right. I get this across. You may have this later for me. Right. I, I'm trying to explain to you all the money goes to Indiana. They figure it out. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. figure out how they pay each other. What the hell does any of these got? What do you get? For running the basketball tournament. I, I don't have an idea. I've been running tournaments all my life. We had 500 teams in Las Vegas called the Big Time Tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we hire gyms, we hire people, we pay them. You know, <laughs> yeah. they go home. What do I gotta give a guy half a million dollars for that for? Well, right. the thing that's, that's striking that's to do. me as well is while $3,000 may sound generous to the families to go to the Final Four, there's billions, that's billions with a B. Being yeah. made yeah. in three thousand dollars is pennies against that. Well, let, let's go over this, okay? I assume there's two parents there each other, or or uh, you know, some sort of you know guardian or whatever. So we'll just say two, okay? There's whatever the numbers are, whatever the numbers are. John, it's ridiculous. The numbers we're talking about tonight—they're going to make what eight hundred million on this tournament alone. This tournament, mm-hmm. but what we forget. Also, about what we tend to not understand are the other deals that generate yes. off of the contract. Right. There are deals, I, IMG, and I'm all for this. Just, I'm not against the commercialism. I'm against the, the athletes not getting Being the fair excluded share. excluded from it, right. I'm not against anyone getting paid. The coaches, you have a market value. That's what it should be. I'm not, that's America, I, isn't it? it <laughs> that's what it is. What I don't understand is why they can't figure out what the athlete value is. Because where I'm going to go with this right now, it's irony of all ironies. I happen to know the people of Illinois. I happen to know Jay Wright. I know Roy Williams. I know you know North Carolina. I'm just interested because they have the greatest academic scandal. And, John, you're, you're yep. witness to this, okay? Yep. Yes, I am. They're the greatest. The only thing I know about the kids on the basketball team that played when Roy Williams went there, he hired his academic advisor. Mm-hmm. And he, these classes were attended, not attended. That's been proven. I'm not getting, don't, don't tell me, I don't want to know anything else. But this thing has been going on for a thousand years, it seems like. Yeah. I mean, you know, no one wants to wait. And it'll be resolved once this tournament's over because it's such a bad image. Mm-hmm. It's such a pathetic thing because where I'm talking is, 
the misallocation of the trust thing in the academic part of this. Mm-hmm. Everyone thinks scientific care is against academics. I'm not. I would not have. Uh, I, I, this is further from the truth in the world. What I am for is the equal distribution of the funding of the people who allow the other people to go to school for nothing. I'm okay. What I'm not okay with is you telling me I can't earn. And as far as pay for play, there's never been a war, and even in the Obama lawsuit, the money, if anything would ever be agreed upon, would be money given to kids encouraging them. John, you'll attest to this. There is only a few guys that go to football and basketball. There are. Mm -hmm. There's only a few. But what about the other ones that do go, and they played on your team? Wouldn't it be nice, because in the abandoned suit, we say the whole team gets it. Mm, if your team sure. played, then you're going to get it. Eddie O'Bannon was just, the O'Bannon case, EA Sports and Collegiate Licensing Corporation, before, the, before it went to jury, agreed to settle with O'Bannon right. for $60 million. Now, there were 25,000 athletes that were a part of those games. They had their own way. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was $1,600 for the lowest one and 15 for the plaintiffs. That was Eddie's group. That's not a lot. But you know what? That wasn't really about the money, was it? What, what it was about was, mm-hmm. this is what I mean. Wouldn't it be nice if, if they were to let stand the 2500 if you played four years for North Carolina or Duke or, or Kentucky, wherever the heck they were playing, and you graduated, mm-hmm. and you went out in the world, and you know what, Jimmy, like this little kid, you know, some of these kids, I guess, aren't good enough to go from Villanova. Well, you know what? It takes a lot of money to go to school. It takes a lot of money. Mom and dad do that. Now they've got to go get jobs because they're not going to be professionals. That's my point. Right. That's agreed upon. Well, what's wrong with We didn't say give it to the main guy. Now, they're going to have a problem with Kessler. That's mm-hmm. a different lawsuit. But pay for play? It's yeah. pay for playing, John and Martha. Yeah, That's yeah. where I'm going. Go ahead, you guys. Well, and I, I mean, what you're pointing to is how this whole um, kind of conglomerate of, of commercialization and collegiate sports has had to work so hard to exclude players that now it has begun to erode the very college experience that we say is the value they get out of being collegiate athletes anyway. Um, I mean, their access to education, um, you know, even just their their motivation to even stay in college, some of the, uh, the good players, why should they stay? And then how tightly controlled athletes are and that they aren't really exposed to opportunities or conversations to even develop a critical awareness around um, you know, what their role in this is about. And I'm just wondering, you know, do you talk directly to players? What do you tell players about the college experience? What What is it that is in it that has value from, for them at this point? Well, you know, what I talk to them about is a different conversation because when they were allowed to go one and not one and done, just go mm-hmm. out of high school, mm-hmm. I was really at the peak of my being able to service athletes, because there was no falsehood about what you could do. You can go earn a living. See, the whole point here is, is right now the one-and-done and and the three-and-done in football is controlled by outside interest. Mm -hmm. It is is collusion between the NBA, the NFL, and the NCAA together, Mm -hmm. because they work in conjunction. Even though there are rules of the professional leagues, they're now partners with the amateur leagues because they need to service it. So what do I say to the kids is basically this, okay? First of all, 
what I say now has no effect on them because they got to go to school for at least one year in a football three years, okay? But what I say, the collegiate experience is a trick. What mm. I, the only thing that I can say now that, and I, I'm talking to kids who are in high school now, and some of these kids are, I just talked to a parent that are going to go in the first five picks of the draft this, next month. So I do have control. What I, what I say are two different elements because they're constricted by what they can do. I helped Brandon Jennings go to Europe. He did that because he was flagged unnecessarily because they didn't think he was smart enough to pass the test. Hmm. So Brandon did that in his own. What Pam and I did was facilitate him. Hmm. We got him to Europe. We got him a great contract. He made a lot of money on Under Armour. Well, this should, he shouldn't have had to do that in Europe. He should have been able to do it in America. Right. So the, the problem we have here is that the athlete has no rights. It's got to be an outsider that keeps explaining to them. But what will happen, I think, is closer than ever. One of these gays are not going to show up for that game. And I think yeah. one of these gays is closer than they ever think because the rulings that's going to come down with collective bargaining in basketball, I can speak of, mm-hmm. in basketball, if they make him go two and done, I don't think parent. why would you do that? Yeah. We're leaving millions, and we're only talking about a select few. Right. Of guys. Mm-hmm. And they make all their noise about this select few. And what I would love to see is have sports pure. If a kid thinks he's good enough, let him go. Mm-hmm. You know where the catch is here? Because the NCAA would be caught in a major, major, major problem. I, my, one of my suggestions would be let him go true, uh, true, like baseball, whatever. And if they don't get a contract, let them come back to school. Right. Okay. Sure. Just let them come back and go play. Right. Why? Why are you preventing them? Because they have to keep that word. Right, amateurism. right, right. Amateurism. Let, let me ask you this, Sonny. What's the difference between Jordan Spieth, the golfer, well, being one and done at Texas and turning pro, uh, and John, John, John Wall at Kentucky being one and done at Kentucky and turning pro? What's pick up a twig and give him a smack in the head? <laughs> tell, tell your husband, wake up, John. Wake up, Sonny. What the difference is? Football and basketball makes billions of dollars. Golf and swimming doesn't make a penny. I guess what's the difference also, though, just culturally? What's the difference? You mean what is the difference in people's perception of that? In people's perception. Well, first of all, the Jordan Spieths of the world are basically, in all probability, if they're playing golf or playing swimming or doing whatever they are, first of all, it's more of a white community, Uh, to be very honest with you. And 90% of the the parents probably of these kids, and this is not negative in any way, would have gone to college anywhere. But the ones you're talking about probably aren't swimming too much or probably aren't playing too much golf or tennis. Right. So, and all those guys, unfortunately, in the fight that we have for freedom, when you talk about, when you talk about moral, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is racial mm-hmm. because the majority of the athletes happen to be, you know, African-American. It's, it's, a, it's a fact. I'm not conjuring something. I'm not looking to, you know, storm the state house here. I'm giving you a fact. And these particular individuals earn all the money for Indian. Indianapolis don't have a mausoleum in Indianapolis called the NSA way mm-hmm. with, the, with the money from tennis and swimming and track and field. Let's understand who pays the rent. That's no right. Doubt. That's right. And I think, um, you know, I agree with you on the, the racial component of this. I think it's the driving force. And I think it's also on the other end of things. I think it's what feeds public perception and what's ma- what makes people feel so negatively 
toward the idea that these players should benefit economically. I think it. I think there's a lot of stuff in that that is about race. Tell us your thoughts on the Northwestern players attempting to unionize and the Missouri players protesting racism on, on campus. No one's asked me that question. Okay, I spoke at Drexel University, and we had some people who were represented with the Missouri players. Let me say this up front. If Missouri would have happened before Ramogi took the group for unionization, they would have won the unionization. Mm-hmm. You know why? Hmm. Because the Missouri players stood for a cause. Now, the poor man was dying, all that. He was on strike, and the students were doing it for, because of this kid. But you and I both know, and John knows, and I know I'm going to tramp on a foot here, and you may be friends, and I have nothing against Mr. Pinkle. I think that's his name. Mm-hmm. Yes. Gary, when yeah. He, when, he, when he came up there, then he stood by his players, and he was lionized, and I'm glad he did. But then he got a hold of himself. He must have got smacked, and I know he had problems. And I, I, This is not negative, and I pray to God that everything turns out well in his life. Mm-hmm. But what he did wrong in my eyes was he tried to justify why he did it. He said, well, they were there to save the young man from dying. They, were, they weren't. Mm-hmm. What happened was they were there, and the reason it got settled quick, because they had a game in Kansas City in five days against somebody. Mm-hmm. Then they had to cancel the TV contracts. The 65,000 or 70,000 people were going to come to the game. Mr. Pinkle and everybody in sports realized when the football players said that they may go on strike, that poor man, I, I'm not ever, and I don't want no one in this audience to think, I sympathize, and I'm glad that it all came to a head, and he's, he's living, and he's going to fight another day. Now, the only reason it got this, the only reason CNN was down there and ESPN and all the ends, right, mm-hmm. they were down there because of the football players there. What they said to the world and what's happening in Indiana right now, what happened with the, all the people who make this work, if those kids would ever do that tonight or to one of those football games in, in January, mm-hmm. they would have a heart attack and die mm-hmm. because they would threaten it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, to go to your statement on what Ramogi and the unionization, unions are hard to come by in this day. My daddy was a union member. When I grew up, John L. Lewis and all those guys, they all saved our family. We went on strike. My dad was a steel mill worker. My, my grandfather worked uh, on the railroad, and my wife's you know, uh, grandfather worked in a coal mine. If you grew up in the 50s and 60s, that's the union saved everybody. Mm-hmm. The world now is changing. It's still a wonderful situation. I think the unionization is you know, needed for people who need it, whatever. But to sit there and say that they got a fair shake, because if anyone notices – the board that voted against them didn't say that the athletes weren't employees. No. They didn't, say, they didn't yeah. say that at all. All they said was they didn't want to make the ruling. Right. They didn't want to hurt. They didn't want to hurt. They didn't want to hurt football. Team got yeah. screwed. Mm-hmm. And all the athletes got screwed. If Missouri happened before, Ramogi and Kane are in a whole different world now. They're accepted and they're being applauded, and athletes would change. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty good point that if they had happened in. In one in front of the other. Let me ask you this. In your, the work that you're doing now, how are you involved in the battle against the NCAA, and who are your allies in that battle? My wife. Hmm. And then what I found out along the way, I don't know if the two of you know this, but when I took leave from a Reebok in uh, 2007, we had two years ago in a very, very lucrative personal service contract. We had 
two years ago on sponsoring all my events, I had the, the All-Star Game, the Round Ball Classic, the Big Time Tournament, which is the largest summer tournament in America, run in Las Vegas. We had run for 27 years. And I had the most famous basketball camp for the greatest players in America uh, in, in New Jersey every year called ABCD Camp. Those were worth millions of dollars in marketing, so we understand that. Mm-hmm. And every company I went to, and the reason I went there and I was this person they wanted, because my events were bigger than life. They sold shoes. They gave kids exposure. All the things that I always wanted way back in Pittsburgh, John, in 1965. Okay, so that's where my life came to. But I said to my wife, I said, I can't fight this anymore Hmm. because the Brandon thing upset me. The age limit upset me. Oh, Brandon wasn't even thought of when I walked away. Hmm. See, that's the misconception by the media that doesn't like me. They they, They don't take enough time to research me. Oh, Bannon started in 2009. I started in 2007 with, with age limit. Mm-hmm. But no one understands that. But when we elected to do this, I said, we're going to go speak. We went from that day, first one we ever went to was the Duke Law School. Then we went to Wharton. Then we went to Harvard. Yeah. I never spoke in a football or a basketball school, and I never spoke to any team in those, it's been 2009 years. Never took a penny. I ain't doing this for, you know, myself, I'm just telling you how I did it. Mm-hmm. Didn't take a penny, never charged a fee. You know, at the end, some of the guys would give me room if they had like a, a place on campus, mostly pay for our own room for it. And I spoke to journalists, business school, and law schools at those universities. And then soon I was a keynote speaker. I used to go right into the classroom and speak to 30 kids. And I said early on at Yale, I said, I'm praying that one of these days, one of you guys is going to grow up and be a great lawyer hmm. and take a case and sue these SOBs. Hmm. I never thought we would get it. Then strange thing happened on the way to the circus. Bill <laughs> Bannon calls me, and EA Sports is having games and selling their images. Eddie played in my game, my camp, my tournaments. I knew his mother and father. They were in my house for dinner. I knew his younger brother, Charles, who was an All-American, also at UCLA. Mm-hmm. I was sitting there watching them win the championship. You know, uh, for UCLA, when he was the most valuable player, he told me his picture was on that cover. Hmm. He won. Housefield, that never happens. I'm looking. I'm, I'm out there looking. I, before O'Bannon, I spoke to 10 or 15 great college players who I knew personally. Remember, I didn't know Jordan. I knew these other kids. They're all afraid to do it. Mm-hmm. Joe Eddie O'Bannon did it. Mm-hmm. So, That's how it started. So where do you see yourself fitting into the reform movement because there are lots of we john and i have found there are lots of people out there that say they are you know advocating for players well, but they really the, have a dog in the fight let me interrupt you, this was a question i wanted to ask you i wanted to ask both of you at the end because you're so you basically brought it up quicker i'm going to say to you anyone listening and i don't know who's listening who isn't like what your audience is or isn't i know that somebody is but I know more important you two are, and you two have made friends over these years that you've been advocating, that you see the misjustice happening. What I'm going to say to you and others, we can bring a coalition of like-minded people who have staple in America, who have staple by this reasoning and logic. They want to see the games go on. They love college athletics. They want to see the right thing happen. But what these, this group that I'm mentoring right now, mm-hmm. they also want to make sure that they get – a degree, they get an education with their degree. Mm-hmm. That's the main thing. 
I want academics to coexist, and I want the, the man who can work for a living tomorrow morning to be able to earn. It's the only thing in the world that we don't allow anybody to work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm watching this young girl named Yo. Uh, she just won another golf match. She's 18 years old. The, the stories in all the papers today were how she's, that's her second toy. She's 18 and making millions. No right. one stopped her from doing it. Mm-hmm. In fact, no they feel good about it. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that's, no, it's a good feeling, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what we do? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. We, isn't I mean, that America? I'm proud of this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so well, to answer your question, I go back if I detract it. I'm asking you, put me in. I don't, we know who are, like, I know I can count on you guys, okay? Mm-hmm. You know you can count on me. Mm-hmm. We've got to bring other you guys into this. Mm-hmm. See, and, and I'm willing, I've taken the bullet, okay, from the guys who said I sent. You know, Alonzo somewhere, the guys. I'm the only person that I know that's been involved this deeply, that's gone through every one of those presidents. Mm -hmm. I go back to Walter Byers. Mm -hmm. They they came after me through Tarkanian in the 90s when they wanted to hang Tarkanian. Mm -hmm. I I was in the Supreme Court thing. If Jerry would have gone, I was going to testify. I was going to do an amicus for them, what they did to me for trying to get Tarkanian. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying to you, is I think we're at the point where we got to get like-minded people. The world, however, I'm not getting into politics. America is dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. We don't know what leaders are. We don't know who to trust. All these things on both sides of the aisle. It, it, it's running rampant. But what happens when things run rampant? And I'll get away from the political thing. Okay. What I'll say is here. The only thing that I have a problem with is running rapid under our eyes, and we can control the NCAA. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be for us. It's supposed to be for the athletes. We're, they're not paying taxes. They're not doing anything. They get exempt for everything. Yeah. But they pay themselves. They build joint themselves. They have all the tickets to the game. They have their friends. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. It's ludicrous. Mm-hmm. So I'm well, asking you, if you know some people that want to meet Sonny, <laughs> and it can do something. I don't mean. You bet. I appreciate everybody's in our corner, guys. But we need somebody that can walk up to one of these guys, you know, you know, say, "Why don't you listen? Why don't they really get the real story?" They don't get the real story. Be- before me and O'Bannon, the NCAA had the last word at the press conference, and mm-hmm. I, through my marketing, through my mind, knew you can't let that happen. Yeah. What the public reads or hears last is what they remember. Yes. Okay, I, go ahead. I, no, no it, it's, I mean, it's just refreshing to talk to somebody who um, is, feels free to t- speak the truth. Exactly. Um, Every answer isn't measured or tested. Or I, full of BS. And Sonny, you can count on us, like you said. Yes. You can count on us. Yes. And we are going to work hard to find like-minded people. But I can't thank you enough for the time that you spent with us tonight. This is uh, this is Monday of the national championship uh, game, and so I know you're going to watch the game here a little bit later tonight. And I just can't thank you for the time that you spent with us. Uh, me, me too, Sonny. I, I, and I look forward to more work together um, from here because we, we like you, have been on the inside for a long, long time, and we, we have. We have some perspective. We have some stories, but we also have a heart for these players, and and um, we're not going to stop until they get what's um, their due, what they deserve. The right thing. That's all we're asking for. Yes. Just do the right yes. thing. Yes. Amen.
Well, that's one of my takeaways um, from this conversation is just how you, um, Sonny, really, it, it none of this was um, by design. You were really, you gave this your heart and you, and you kind of led with your heart when you, the more you saw how it all worked, you were very clear headed and um, even made some decisions that weren't in your best interest as an individual, probably sometimes because of that. And so that really inspires me. And um, so that's one of my takeaways. I'm, you're one of my new heroes. Well, Sonny, thank you so much and uh, enjoy the game tonight. And, you know, one of my takeaways in this whole thing is that sometimes I, I start to realize who I thought were the good guys might not be the good guys. And they're the guys <laughs> that I wasn't as sure, well, it turns out they might be the real good guys. And, yeah. uh, and you know everything that, that you do, you put the players first. And some of the people who, who were wearing the white hat out there aren't always putting the players first. And uh, I so admire the work that you're doing, Sonny. You can count on the shoops. John, and I'll, I'll leave you with, a, with a, a sports thing, okay? What what I learned is you all got to be in this together and don't underestimate your opponent. Mm-hmm. And if we would stick together, we give strength to somebody else. Because I can, I can attest, when Pam and I took the first trip, we took it by ourselves. Well, you know what? We have a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So, so it's good. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Mm-hmm. And we don't always see eye to eye, but we know that our eyes are looking in the right direction to help these kids. So mm-hmm. that's that's the positive thing. Amen. Amen. All right, guys. We'll God be in you. touch, Sonny. Thank that's you so a, much for joining us. That's a promise. God bless you guys, and have a great week. And uh, and uh, tonight I'm going to root for Jay Wright and Villanova, so I'm going on record. I've watched Jay grow up. I like what he's All done. right. Well, Is Raleigh Massimino a great guy? I will. I would do that, and I go. I go back, and Roly, Roly was a guy that I won the first Nike contracts. Yeah, and, and, I back, and obviously, obviously, so I'll finish it off. Another Italian guy, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, well, you were you were in the heyday of the Big East with Massimino, yeah. Carnesecca. I mean, there yeah. were some that was how about, unbelievable. How about Carlissimo? <laughs> PJ oh, Carlissimo, yeah. Louis yeah. Carnesecca, yeah. Roly yeah. Massimino, Louis. and Sonny Vaccaro. How about that? <laughs> Blessings to you, Sonny. Thank you so much. Good night. Good night. We've got some great shows coming up. Um, We're going to be meeting with um, former UNC football player Devin Ramsey and Dr. Emmett Gill, the national convener of the Student Athletes Human Rights Project, on our next show. And then our show following that will be meeting with New York Times reporter Joe Nacera, and author of the recent book that has been a big hit so far, Indentured. Special thanks to WBAA, West Lafayette's public radio station. And a shout out and thanks to Erica Yon, our sound engineer. Remember, you can follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and you can find us on Twitter at ShoopsGoingDeep and ShoopsGoingDeep.com. Many thanks to our growing audience of listeners. We're most grateful that you have decided to go deep with us. We're Team Shoot. Join us next time on Going Deep.